Welcome to Shahada Stories, the podcast. Shahada is the Muslim profession of faith. Each episode, we'll be sharing true stories of the circumstances that led up to everyday people of different faith backgrounds making the choice to become Muslims. We'll also be sharing the stories of people who have always been Muslim, but who experienced challenging moments that led them to renewing their faith. I am Hannah Hassan, and Shahada Stories is my passion project. I'll be joined each episode by my husband, Jamal, to help bring these stories to life. Let's get started. All right. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. We're here for another episode of Shahada Stories. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. It's me, Hannah, and me, Jamal. We're really excited to be here for another episode with two new stories. Um, We're sort of smack dab in the middle of Ramadan right now. Um, How's your fast going, Jamal? Uh, It's going pretty good. You know, I've enjoyed these past, you know, it's almost two weeks now. So I've been doing all right. Alhamdulillah. Let's keep it up. Yeah, it's been really good for me, too. I, um, here in North Carolina, which is where we are, the weather has been really on our side, I would say. Um, I remember the last couple of Ramadans, it was really hot and humid. And alhamdulillah, it's been like kind of rainy, um, warm, but not so hot that it feels unbearable. And that is just such a mercy from Allah. So I'm grateful for what has been a a fairly good, easy Ramadan so far. Yeah, it could be worse. It could be super, super hot. I think now we're fasting, what, like, maybe 16 hours a day? Mm, I think so. I think 16 hours a day, you know, it could be blazing hot out there. So, I'm doing a lot for the cool weather coming in and the rain and all of that stuff. That's right. Okay, so we've been noticing a lot of traction on our Facebook and social media, people sharing um, Shahada stories and liking the page and things of that nature. Thank you. We invite you to please, if you're listening to the show, to go on our Facebook, uh, make some comments, uh, let us know what you think of things. And if you know anyone who has a story to um, have them share, well, reach out to us either via email um, or our Facebook page, and we would love to interview them for the show so the more stories the better um also we are really excited about like bringing stories from again different topics so some of the stories are stories of people who were not muslim and became muslim and then some of the stories are stories from people who have just had really interesting things happen in their life that renewed their faith so Um, We're looking for a myriad of stories from all across the board. So definitely hit us up if you want to be interviewed. All right. Any last uh, words before we jump into these stories this week, Jamal? Yeah. And if you're one of those people who was born Muslim and maybe stepped away for a little bit, don't be afraid to share your stories. They're going to remain anonymous. No one is going to know whose story is whose. Um, We don't put that information out there unless somebody specifies they really want it out there. But... Please don't be afraid to share your stories. I'm sure there's people that have similar stories that can connect with you. And some people who may not have known who, you know, this may be the first time they're hearing about it and be very interested also. 
That's right. Um, we respect you. We protect your anonymity. And we also um, honor the stories by making sure that they're written really well and told really well also. So trust us. And uh, we would love to share your story. You never know whose life it can impact. All right. We're going to jump right into these stories. We have two new stories for you this week. Um Please listen after the story so you can hear our commentary, know a little bit of uh, background information, and uh, we're excited to get started. So let's get it. When the student becomes the teacher. I remember walking off the plane, feeling like I was stepping into a new world. There were two men waiting for me, holding up a sign with my name on it. One white guy and a black guy with a jerry curl. (laughs) I wasn't in Brooklyn anymore. As a matter of fact, I was in Buffalo. I was an 18-year-old basketball star. I had won a scholarship and I was ready for this new stage in my life, college. I didn't understand the power of a mentor until I met Mr. Shaheed. He worked in minority admissions. I was introduced to him shortly after I got on campus, and I felt an immediate connection. He was educated, intelligent, and respected. Apparently, he saw something in me as well because he took me under his wing. He brought me to his house and introduced me to his family. I was in a new city, so it was good to have this home away from home to visit. His family was amazing. His children became like my little brothers and sisters. His wife was kind and she could cook. She dressed modestly and that was beautiful. They were Muslims. I wasn't, but that was never a problem. They treated me like I was one of their own. I remember finding out that Minister Louis Farrakhan would be coming to town to speak. I was a broke college student, so putting together the $10 or so that I needed to pay for the ticket was no small feat. But I did it. It was a good event, but I left a bit confused. I knew Mr. Shaheed was Muslim, and I knew that the Nation of Islam was Muslim, but they seemed so different. So, I told Mr. Shaheed about my experience, and we discussed it all. Then I asked him for a Quran. He gave me a book, The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. I read it a few times. I let it soak in. I asked him again for a Quran. He gave me another book. This time it was a book about Islam by Imam W.D. Muhammad. I read it a few times. I let it all soak in. I asked him again for a Quran. And finally I got it. Once I had it in my hands and began to read, I understood his process. He was training my mind. I needed that training because if he would have given it to me promptly when I asked for it, I might not have been ready. I looked in the Quran. I read, I read, I read. But I had a question for him. What about that other side of the page? The side with the weird characters on it, Arabic. I asked him if he could teach me to read the Arabic. I wanted to understand the Quran in the language that it was revealed. He looked at me with a look on his face that I'd never seen out of this intelligent, strong man. Embarrassment. He couldn't teach me to read the Arabic because he didn't know how. Fast forward. A few years later, I moved down south. At that point, I'd already taken my shahada. I was Muslim. 
So naturally, I went to the local mosque. I was introduced to the imam there, Imam Hassan. He too was smart, funny, and forceful. He didn't take no for an answer. It turns out he was looking for an Arabic teacher to teach the young people there in the masjid since the previous teacher was no longer with them. I explained that I was trying to learn myself. I had learned some before coming there, but in no way was I equipped to teach students, some of which were more advanced than me. He ignored me. He was always quoting Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him. He would say that if a man knows one letter, he's required to teach it. How could I compete with that? So I agreed. I would use the more advanced students to help teach the beginners. They weren't aware of it, but we were all learning together. I would teach class and then get in the car and listen to Arabic. I'd listen to tapes on my long drive home. I would teach class and then the students would leave, but I would stay there into the still of the night teaching myself, talking with Imam Hassan. Some nights I would be so tired, I would sleep there in the masjid on the cold yet comfortable green carpet. Some nights were lonely, but they were worth it. Imam Hassan couldn't read Arabic either, but he would tell me that I was teaching his kids, which were all of the kids of the community, so I was teaching him. Mr. Shahid, now Imam Shahid and Imam Hassan, are only two out of the few other amazing men who have mentored me and helped me grow on my path as a Muslim man, an Arabic teacher, an Imam. However, these two men gave me two of the most important things on my path. Imam Shahid gave me understanding. Imam Hassan empowered me to teach. I am by no means a complete Muslim. I am flawed and human. But as Imam Hassan would say to me, I know one letter and I was required to share it. I have found my peace by learning and sharing God's word. Through the love and encouragement of these men, the student has become the teacher. La ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah. La ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah. All right, you guys, we're coming back from the student becomes the teacher. Um, Jamal, how was that for you? It was a very lovely story. I like it. I like it a lot. What did you like about it? Well, what I liked about it is that one thing, if you listen to the story closely, which I hope everyone did, this was a man that was teaching children Arabic and he didn't know it himself. <laughs> that is amazing. That takes a lot of bravery because I know for me, I would be nervous that someone would call my bluff and I'd be standing up there with like three good Arabic letters that I know and then the rest of it uh, would just be gibberish. <laughs> well, yes, I agree with that. I think that that took a lot of courage and you could tell the, that there was a desire inside of him to, to learn as well. And I think that's why he took it on. Um, something that I feel that is important about the story was that um, 
he sort of had this awakening in college, essentially. And hopefully there are some college students listening. If there are any, I would say to submit to those opportunities when you're in college because it's a time in your life where you get to learn so much and he he had this mentor who saw that he was hungry and wanted knowledge but didn't sort of force everything on him at once I think it was important that he sort of helped to sort of open up his mind to I think a, a higher level of consciousness and what that did was that that made him more prepared when he got the Quran. So I thought that was probably the most interesting part to me. When when you became Muslim, Jamal, did you just automatically pick up a Quran and was it confusing for you at all? You know, that's actually a funny story. I was actually um, given a Quran, I believe, by my cousin. It was I think it was like an extra one that he had. And I started reading just a few pages and I happened to run into... Um, one of those translations that has a lot of that, like, uh, <laughs> a lot of that, uh, don't trust the Christians and the Jews. And I kept reading and I was like, what is going on with this book? Like this book really doesn't want anyone to trust Christians or Jews. And I was like, this is kind of funny because I was Christian at the time. And I was like, why does this book keep talking about how the Christians and the Jews shouldn't be trusted? And I don't remember what translation it was, but um, I remember it just made me uneasy just, you know, reading it. But, you know, then you find out later that, you know, there are different translations where certain words mean a certain thing. And then, you know, then you have like that, uh, what is it, the uh, Tafsir, where, you know, you have to look at things in context as to what was going on at the time and you know, what, what, you know, ayahs were revealed at what point and, you know, are they key to this situation? So if you just go and just read it, you're like, you know, this is kind of, you know, out of whack. Like what's going on here? Like what's being said and who's, you know, who's doing what? So, you know, for someone to just come and pick up a Quran with like no explanation and just read it, like, no, I feel like, you should have someone there to, you know, to kind of walk you through, which I did at the time. I had someone, you know, I would read, you know, a couple of ayats and then question them about like, well, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? So I totally can understand about getting your mind ready to or prepared to read the Quran. Yeah, I think that's where like it was important that he said he had mentors and these different, you know, men in his life who who came through and, and was able to sort of teach him things and show him the ropes essentially and to help him understand the Quran first the translation transliteration and then also who encouraged him to learn Arabic uh because understanding the Quran and the language that it was revealed is also very important I just I I love this story because not only did he um take what he learned and sort of apply it to his own life but then he he taught other students so I I feel like that's one of the best ways for to live forever essentially is through you know teaching other people what you know so thought it was beautiful Yeah I enjoyed the story of the dedication of him just staying behind it's like he would learn something and then not even master it, but just learn it enough to be able to teach it to someone else and then teach it to someone else who might not have known that. And, you know, that is, that is real dedication when you think about it. Because, I mean, most of us, 
you know, probably wouldn't have the confidence in ourselves to start teaching something that we don't have like a grasp over just yet. But uh, for him to do that and to be able to do it well, you know, kudos goes out to that man. My hat is off to him. All right. I think that's a good way to end up that conversation. So let's go ahead and get on into our next story. A cultural Muslim finds the love. My family, we were what you would call cultural Muslims. When you were born and raised into a religion and live in a country in the Middle East where the rules and regulations are based around said religion, sometimes it's easy to become a cultural Muslim. If we were out and at the mall and prayer time came in, everyone was expected to go and pray. We were practicing our faith in the way that the government mandated us to practice. So technically, we were Muslim, but there was no heart. And then we moved. America. In this land of the free, we were free to do whatever we did or did not want to do. I was free to pray or not wear a hijab or not, be a Muslim or not. So I existed somewhere in the middle. I would pray sometimes. I would fast during Ramadan. I kind of just did whatever I wanted to do. And then one day there was a question, a question from a random guy, a Christian guy who worked at the same place that I did for my internship. He asked me about Islam, the regular questions. So I gave him my regular answers. I told him about the do's and the don'ts. We do believe in God. We don't believe Jesus is God. We do pray five times a day. We don't drink, gamble, etc. This was how conversations like these usually went. But he gave me a blank stare. He was silent for a moment. And then he said with very confused eyes, where's the love? It would be some time later that my mom told my sisters and I that we would be going to an Islamic convention in Chicago, and she started to wear the hijab. We agreed to go, and we all decided to wear hijab together. It was amazing. It was the first time that I had seen so many Muslims in America in one place, unified in their love for God. The entire weekend was electric, full of speeches, seminars, and an undeniable connection with those around me. It felt really good. I felt my heart softening, and I felt a greater connection to my religion. And although I had no idea at the time, no idea at the time, my sisters were feeling the same overwhelming emotions. I felt like I was no longer struggling to be accepted as a Muslim in America. It is now evident that what happened for my family and I in Chicago is that we were connected to the spirituality of Islam. When we lived overseas, our practice was governed. Yes, we learned the actions, but it was during that weekend in Chicago that our hearts were broken open. My journey of faith has traveled with me from one part of the world to the other, and now I've finally settled as a practicing Muslim here in this space, I have finally found the love. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. All right, Jamal, we're back now. That was a cultural Muslim finds the love. Uh, what are your thoughts? 
Mm, well, it was um, entertaining listening to a story about a cultural Muslim. I mean, we have a lot of cultural Muslims. I think, you know, oh, in Christianity, they say they're uh, non-practicing or semi-practicing, something like that. You have, you know, those people that, you know, claim the faith, but not necessarily practicing it fully. You know, you have those in-between people. Yeah, You know, I always wondered, like, you know, what their story was or, you know, how they grew up and stuff like that. So it's very interesting to hear. Yeah, I think that there's oftentimes a negative connotation put on cultural Muslims. It's almost said as an insult sometimes. Like, oh, like, you know, you're born into Islam, but, like, you're not really Muslim. And that's always bothered me because who are we, you know, as humans to judge someone's degree of, of their faith? And we don't oftentimes know what their story is. So hearing a story like this, I can understand how it can just become... The practice part can become so mandated and regulated that the emotional connection is not there. And I'm really excited uh, for this sister that she was able to find find that emotional piece because I think that that's so important where staying on your dean in America is concerned because otherwise I don't know how one would. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, like you said before, like finding the love there. I mean, you can have someone that, you know, does all the prayers and stuff like that. But if there's no thought or, you know, intention, like, like into it, I mean, does it really amount to anything? Even if you do go through all the steps, you know, I mean, you got to have that. I mean, I, I feel like there's been times, that, you know, in, in, you know, my practice where I'll be doing something, maybe you making prayer and just, you know, be going through it, just saying it. And maybe your mind will start to wander, you'll start to drift or something like that. And then you have to catch yourself like, whoa, 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 whoa. what am I thinking about? Like, let me get back to concentrating on what I'm doing here at the moment and make this, you know, make this genuine and authentic. So I like the fact that at the end, you know, they went to the uh, to the convention and she was able to, you know, kind of like get a recharge on her love for Islam and then be able to, you know, go back to practicing and choose to practice, not just because, you know, it was government mandated, but go to choosing to practice because that's what she wanted to do. Yeah. Let me tell you guys, if you, I know, Jamal, that you didn't grow up, you know, in Islam. So conferences. And I was a heathen. Uh, okay, so conferences and conventions weren't a part of your upbringing. Um, well, not Islamic ones. You did go to some Christian ones. Yes, I did. Um I will I will venture to say that conferences, conventions, the right ones are so very important to the upbringing, especially of young Muslims. I grew up in a very small town where we had our one masjid and I had my Muslim friends, you know, within the masjid. But it was very small. It was like my small, you know, Muslim family. And I think even where the other girls growing up were concerned I was, I don't know that there was a lot of covering and stuff. Like, there was modesty, but going to a convention, and for me, going to a convention where there were lots of black Muslims and seeing all of this beautiful sort of covering and these women from, and young women who are my age from all different parts of the country, dressed modestly and fly and beautiful and us talking about our lives. And you didn't feel so small, you know, anymore. 
conventions are so important because they they help to remind you especially if you're not in somewhere like new york or la or philly or a place where there's a lot of muslims it helps it helps to remind you that you're not alone and i i just feel like i know that like dean wise i wouldn't be where i i am now if it weren't for going to those conferences and conventions they were game changers for me and i see how this could have been a game changer for her as well yeah, I have to date not going to a convention, though I do look forward to going to one Islamic convention. Uh, like you said earlier, I have gone to uh, many Christian conventions and midwinter meetings back in the day. And uh, let me tell you something. If you want to see a really, really unenthusiastic tambourine player, <laughs> holler at your boy circa 1993. Like, ain't nothing like being up at 11.30 at night at choir practice, bouncing this tambourine <laughs> off your thigh. Okay, well, anyway, <laughs> I think that that's going to be all that I have to say about this story. You got anything else, Jamal? And, you know, it was right about the time that uh, that uh, Kirk Franklin came out with that big, you remember his hit song, Someone Asked a Question? Are you still talking about this tambourine? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys, that's... If you uh, can relate to this whole concept of being a cultural Muslim or really even just of of having those sort of ebbs and flows uh, where your heart is concerned um, in in the faith, uh, hit us up on social media and tell us about it. All right. That's going to be it for, um, I guess, our commentary on on that story. And just hang around real quick so you can find out a little bit how to um, contact us on social media and stay engaged. All right, family, that is it for this episode of Shahada Stories, the podcast. Uh, We hope that you found something in there that uplifts your spirit, that uh, renews your faith, uh, that reminded you that we are one. Um, We we want you to please, please be engaged with us on social media. Uh, Most of our uh, sharing is done from our Facebook platform. So just go to Facebook and look up Shahada Stories like us and then hit follow where you'll see you know when we post information we're looking for new stories so if you're interested in uh, being interviewed for a shahada story it's a really easy process um, just email us or send us a message on facebook um, our email address is shahada stories s-h-a-h-a-d-a-h-s-t-o-r-i-e-s at gmail.com um, and just tell us you, you you would love to be interviewed for your story and we will definitely follow up with you Uh, we want for you to be engaged and for you to share our information with your uh, friends and followers so we can spread the word thank you for taking uh, time to share and listen with us this week and we look forward to sharing with you on our next episode assalamualaikum